morning to Big Woods Online. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to Exodus chapter 15 this morning. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 through verse 27 will be our text this morning. Thank you, Pastor Stewart, for leading us in prayer, and especially for those words that we all need to be reminded of this morning. He read from Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I think we need those words this morning. We are living in unique times. Um, in these times, it is impossible um, as a pastor, as a shepherd, for me to personally call every single person. As, as much as I would love to do that, it's impossible for me to do that. So I, I pray and I just wait for the Lord to, to give me a name, a family, and I will make calls. And I have made multiple calls uh, to people throughout the body the past couple weeks. And I want to report something to you. Every single call that I have made to a family, someone else from this church has beat me there already. That, that, that someone else has called to check up on them, to pray with them or for them before I have done that. I just want to begin this morning to say thank you. Thank you for doing that, for caring for and checking up on one another. And let me encourage you, keep on doing that. In these unique times, I will ask, I need to ask for an update. How, how are we doing financially? We, we don't pass an offering plate the way that we normally do. We, we click buttons or we put what checks in the mailbox. And every report that I have gotten, let me, let, me, let me tell you this, it is all about praising God for his faithfulness. I want to thank you for your faithful giving and support of the important ministry at Big Woods Bible Church. I want to encourage you, keep on doing that. You have to realize that God is at work here. And if it takes a global pandemic for us to learn, if it takes a global pandemic for us to practice and practice how to love God and love our neighbors more than so be it. God is at work. I heard just this week a testimony of a pastor of a very small and a struggling church up in New England. He had about 80 people. And he knew with this upcoming time and season to close church, he was terrified that he doesn't know if he'd ever be able to open it back up again. And this pastor was faithful. He would normally write a message and preach it. About 80 people would hear it. But just this past week, he wrote a message and he put it online. And rather than 80 people hearing his message, 1,800 people heard the word of God through the preaching of that one faithful servant. I think of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Although these are times that none of us would ever choose to be in, God is at work and we will rejoice in that work that God is doing. We, we need help as I always need help before 
we go to the Word of God, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and pray with me as we dig into this text in Exodus chapter 15. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for every person that has tuned in this morning that is listening to this message in a unique season. But, Lord, it's not by accident. It's by your divine appointment that we are learning from you this morning in this way. I thank you for the blessing of technology. But, Father, I thank you most, most of all, for your word and your spirit that guides us in this entire process of learning from your word. Lord, I, I need your help this morning. I need your strength. I need your guidance. I need your strong support. And, and I know many, many other people that need you. And I just thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your grace, and for your love. I just pray, Lord, that everything that is said this morning as we look into your word would be your words for us. That the focus would not ever, ever be on an individual. But we would focus our attention on you. Please, Lord, speak to us. And may your servants hear this morning. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We return to the book of Exodus. little break last week. Necessary break to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus. We return now to Exodus, and we know by way of re review that the Israelites have been rescued from slavery. We know that the Red Sea has recently receded. We know that the enemy has been defeated. There has been a time of praise to God for his goodness and his grace and his glory and his salvation. That time has been completed, and now we move on. Let's pick it up. We're going to read right away. Pick it up with me in verse 22, Exodus chapter 15. The words of the Lord. Then, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on, that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This narrative continues on. The Israelites are moving on. Literally, they're moving out on the journey of a lifetime. Literally, the journey of a lifetime. You know why? Because these people were born in slavery. They have never 
been anywhere before. And they were led out into what is appropriately referred to as the wilderness of Shur, the western part of Arabia, Patria. And the word wilderness is important. It means this. It means a place that is uncultivated, uninhabited, a inhospitable region. What, what, what exactly does that mean? What it means is this. If you ever needed a break, if you ever just need a quiet place to rest, and you're going to make some plans, and so you Google best getaway spots, or you Google top wilderness destinations, you can be assured that sure would never, ever, ever come up. It's not popping up anywhere. There's no tourism department here, okay, that's trying to promote or lure you to come and visit. I actually brought a picture so you can see what the wilderness of sure looks like. The surface of the moon actually looks more enjoyable. No one goes to sure unless you have to go there. It's hot, it's dry, it's barren, it's desolate, it's dead. But the Israelites had to go there. The reason is because they had some very important lessons to learn in what I've described, what I've heard it described as Wilderness University. Now it's true that you can learn a lot in the wilderness. There are several notable alumni. Abraham spent some time in the wilderness, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, they all went to wilderness You, As a matter of fact, if you remember, Moses was what? A recent grad. We say, okay, uh, but what's, like, what's so important here? What's so significant about this location, this time, this text? The answer is this. The Israelites had to face some challenges. And the Israelites had to learn some lessons. So do we. You know, in a sense, I don't think it's a stretch to say we are kind of right now in a a little bit of a wilderness. Like This is just totally weird. It's uncharted. There's nothing. You know what? I want to remind you, it is God's will. This, this setting, this, this odd, weird, wild setting, this wilderness that you and I find ourselves in of this global pandemic is God's will. God's will is never, ever, ever, ever to hurt you. God's will for your life and for my life, just like it was for the Israelites, is for us to learn. For us to learn. Let's do that this morning. Let's learn. Number one, learn this. God knows your needs. There's no need to grumble. God knows your needs. There's no need to grumble. Now, verses 22, 23, and 24. You know how some texts of Scripture, some passages of Scripture are really hard to, like, interpret or understand? Like, what exactly does that mean? Exodus chapter 15 Verses 22, 23, and 24 are perhaps some of the easiest passages to interpret. You can actually summarize all three of those verses with six words. Three days, no water, 
people grumbling. That's pretty simple. Three days, no water, people grumbles. Now, if you recall, at the end of Exodus chapter 13, God is the one who's actually steering them, right? He's directing the Israelites by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. We know that what? That's the Holy Spirit present among them. So they are, according to what we read in verse 22, they're about 72 hours, three days into their journey, and somebody notices, hey, our thermos is empty. Somebody, somebody in that big massive group of people, somebody starts complaining. I know that's hard to believe, right? Have you ever been on a long trip before? Uh, many hours in a car. But think about this particular setting. There is no air conditioning, okay? There's no leather seats. There's no satellite radio. There's no movies for the kids to watch in the back seat. There's no Cheerios to eat. There's no games to play. The Israelites are moving from what what they know was salvation to what now appears to be starvation. And somebody's like, Who's idea, whose idea is this? And let me be very clear here. When it reads, they could not drink the water, that's, that's not a little problem, okay? That's not like some of the complaining that even I hear, yeah, we, we, can't, we can't eat in, we have to take out. Like, it's not that kind of a problem. This is a serious problem. It's a big need. Why? Because we have needs in our life. We have many needs in our life. We need shelter. We need safety. We, need, we certainly need social interaction. But even before those needs, there are other needs that are referred to as fundamental needs or foundational needs or basic needs needs that we die without what three minutes without air three days without water three weeks without food and I, and I know when I say that that's a generalization okay I, I'm well aware I did my research I'm well aware of the the Japanese pearl divers, the Anna pearl divers, they can hold their breath longer than three minutes. No, no, generally speaking, just work with me, okay? Generally speaking, we all need air. We all need water, and we all need food. This is not a surprise for God. God actually created us that way. And because it was a severe need, the entire situation looks pretty dire. And as a result, here's the word, it's recorded in the annals of Old Testament narrative. The people grumbled. To grumble means to complain or to protest about something in a bad-tempered but typically a muted way. It, it's, it's oftentimes described as grumbling against or a muttering under your breath. 
kid, I would mumble something. I would grumble about something. My dad would say, get the marbles out of your mouth. You got something to say? Say it. There's no grumbling. There's no muttering. Because oftentimes with the grumbling, there's actually an intent to cause a bigger problem than the problem that actually exists in the first place. There's an intent with grumbling oftentimes to cause what? Disharmony, disunity, even distrust. Think, think with me for a moment. What good, what, what solution ever comes from grumbling about the problem? What, what good comes from grumbling about a problem? Here's the answer. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing ever good comes from grumbling. That's the reason that scripture, you realize that the scriptures have much to say on the subject of grumbling. That's the reason that God does not look lightly on grumblers. Later on in this very journey, Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, listen to this testimony. The people complained in hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. That, that there's, what, there's a point that the Lord says, I, I don't want to hear your grumbling. Any longer. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this in verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, a subject that God doesn't just kind of like glance over. Like, this is serious stuff. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. That's why it says, do all things without grumbling or disputings. I, I, I do lean towards the old King James on that. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Can, can, I, can I not grumble under my breath? Can I just say something? I hate those little plexiglass windows that are in front of everybody right now. I hate those things. I hate the fact that when I walk somewhere, somebody walks wide around me the entire time. I hate the fact that you can't see people's faces because they're covered up with a mask. And that you have to stand, what, distance on lines and on dots. I found myself recently muttering under my breath on some of these things. And I was talking with my brother about it. My brother Scott is a pastor and he does some writing, does some blogging, and he sent me this article. The Lord used this to speak to my heart, and if perhaps I'm not the only one grumbling. Listen to this, and I quote, this is kind of cool to say, I quote my older brother Scott. If you are human that is breathing today, you know something about grumbling. We track towards discontentment. None of us needed any instruction in the art of complaint. It's as natural as inhaling. The simple truth is I cannot stop grumbling unless God holds an intervention. When the glory of his rescue saturates my heart, then and only then will my touchy, whiny selfishness be sent packing. End quote. That, that's, 
That's some good truth. When the glory of his rescue saturates my heart. You know, the, the Israelites, like, the way that they were responding, that's me. That, 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 that is us. That's why we need to be careful here. Any, any, any grumbling going on in your life right now? Yeah, just think if maybe just out of the blue, out of the blue, kind of caught off guard, all of a sudden, you were given word that you cannot go to the movies. Just out of the blue, like, just say that somebody said, no, you can't go to the movies, you can't go to a restaurant, um, you can't go to a ball game, you can't go to any concert, you, you can't travel anywhere, you can't go any trip. Just say out of the blue, somebody says, yeah, you can't even go to church, you can't go to work, you can't go to school. And, and you are all stuck together at home. Just kind of run that scenario for a moment. What would happen? Before you start grumbling, do you realize that even in the midst of some of those things that we cannot do, there are those, even amongst our own body, who have lost loved ones that cannot grieve funeral of their own son or their brother their mother or their father as loved ones in our body have just lost within the last week or two can, can you see how easy it is for us to grumble in situations like that and, and I'm sure I am certain just as the Israelites had to learn some lessons do you know what for all of us We've got some lessons to learn as well. Number one, God knows your needs. There's no need to grumble. Number two, here's lesson number two. God promises your salvation. And there's no reason to doubt. God promises your salvation. There's no reason to doubt. I, I love, love, love promises that are kept. We talked about this just last week. Remember that? Where Jesus Christ himself said, After three days, I will rise again. Matthew chapter 27, Mark chapter 9. And thankfully, what? Jesus kept his promise. If, if you remember in this particular context, it was just the previous chapter. It wasn't that long ago. It was Exodus chapter 14, where what Moses said this, Don't be afraid. He's talking to everyone. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. He will work for you. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. And yet it's not that much further in time from the, when those words were spoken that these people are complaining and fretting and fearing and doubting. They're complaining and grumbling to Moses. I love this. Moses did what you and I need to do. He says that he cried out. He cried out to the Lord. I, I don't think it was probably a beautiful prayer. I don't think it was an articulate prayer. 
I think he felt the hot breath of the people that were pressing against him, screaming at him, and he just cried out, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. Look at this. And the Lord showed him a log. I, I don't know if you're, you're dying of thirst. That's the first thing that you really wanted to be shown. I'm really, really thirsty. Well, there's a really nice tree over there. But you see, at that moment, that's, that's all that God, God doesn't need very much to do something amazing. There's a log, and, and it says that Moses threw it into the water. Now, please don't for a moment let people say, well, it was, it was the type of wood that it was that caused a chemical reaction that created a, a natural filtration system for the, the water that made it, what, turn from bitter to, no. No, it was a log. It was a piece of a tree that got thrown into, and God did a miracle here. See that? Why is that important in this particular case for these grumbling Israelites? It was the wood of a log that brought salvation. It's what God did with that log. It wasn't the log itself. You, you realize the mirror of Scripture teaches us what? That, that with, without water, they would have died in the desert. But in our case, what grumbling Sinners, it's the wood of a cross that brought salvation. And we know it was, it was nothing special about the actual wooden cross. It was what happened on that cross. It was the fact that, that God left the glories of heaven to come into literally, and forgive me, yes, it's beautiful around it, but, but God left the glories of heaven to come to the filth of this world. To live amongst us, grumblers, complainers, dying of thirst. And, and it was Jesus Christ who lived a perfect, sinless life. He never grumbled. And yet what? People despised him so much that they nailed him in a torturous execution known as crucifixion upon a cross, a wooden cross. At any moment, he could have called down legions of angels and been rescued, but instead he suffered on that tree for you and for me. He paid the price that I, I couldn't pay. My heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked. So is yours. And now God offers to us salvation. Salvation, we are freed when we put our faith and trust in the full finished work Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. So that what? We as what? Desperate sinners can actually be in a relationship with a holy God. We are unholy and yet God is holy. And through the work of Christ that was accomplished on the cross, we can be in relationship so much so that we, we, we pray, Father, Heavenly Father, that we are, we are ushered into the throne room of his grace at any moment. All because the fact that Jesus died 
on the cross. We would be dead in our sins without Jesus, just like the Israelites would be dead in the desert without water. I think it's quite interesting as well that Jesus himself says, what? That he is the living water. He describes this, he explains this in John chapter 4. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, will, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said what? I'm the one. John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, that's me, that's you. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. People, this morning, may, may one lesson that we learn as we get to press our faces up against the glass, looking into the lives of the Israelites in the wilderness, and we see the most compelling and miraculous, the most significant event. You know what we get to see? We see that God saves. God loves. And God saves. God sees our suffering. And he loves us enough to send his son to save us. So it is true. James, James chapter two, two, James chapter one, excuse me, in verse two, he describes it so well of what we need to be reminded of. Count it all joy. What? Yeah. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What a reminder for us to see how God promises this is his will for our lives right now. And in this, he promises salvation. There's no reason to doubt that he's doing something that we actually can, what? Count it joy. That God is producing steadfastness in our lives. Need, need I remind you that this is day three of a four-decade long journey this is day three of a four decade long journey I, I think you would agree with me that there was some need for steadfastness third lesson final lesson we need to learn I need to learn we know that God knows what you need, there's no grumbling. We know that God promises salvation. There's no doubting. Thirdly and finally, God desires your obedience. There is no value. There's no eternal value to rebellion. I want you to note here how, how, how important it is. I want you to note how much value there is to obedience. And I want you to note that there is literally no value, there's no worth 
There's nothing of eternal significance to disobedience. I want you to note the, the word here that we begin in verse 26. It speaks of a condition. It's conditional. If you will diligently listen. If you diligently listen. Listen to the words. Listen to the statutes. Listen to the laws that God has put out. Listen to his law. Give attention to his commands. Why is that important? Hebrews chapter 13 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And it's that one phrase of why obedience matters, why obedience is important. Because in doing that, God equips us to do everything that we need that is according to his will, not ours. When, when, when God desires obedience, please understand, this is not, this is not, don't listen to the lies, this is not God being harsh, okay? God has literally just saved their lives. He's taken that which is bitter and he's turned it into that which is sweet. Don't see this as harsh. It, it is literally as if God is gently reaching out his hands, putting them on what your face and drawing you in close and in gentleness. It's, it, it's as if he's saying, I gave you eyes to see me. It's as if he's drawn us in close. I gave you ears to hear what I have to tell you. Use them for my glory. Listen to me. Obey me. And he warns, because if not, if not, it's going to hurt. Direct disobedience is what? It is zero fun. Ever had to... Ever had to discipline your children before? Or, or, or children, have you ever been disciplined before? Corrected, chastised, spanked? Let, let me ask you a question. How much, how much fun is that little process? Can, can I ask you, who's enjoying that? From experience as a parent, the parent's not. It's gut-wrenching. I have experienced as a child. I remember that as a child. I wasn't experienced. I wasn't enjoying it either. This is like zero fun. Why? Why? Because whom he loves, he chastens. Whom he loves, he corrects. If you would just obey, it's going to go a whole lot smoother. But there's something deep with inside of us. There's something that resides of a rebellious, rebellious spirit. So when God desires obedience, he's not, he's not being harsh here. When God desires obedience, please understand, he's, this is not 
as what some people would say, this is not some prosperity theology slop, okay? That's just gross, false teaching that exists and abides all over the place. Just do what God tells you to do, and you're not going to get sick, and you're going to get a nice car, and you're going to have a pool, and you die rich, fat, and happy. No, that's just lies from the pit of hell. God says, if you obey me, I will protect you. Look what it says. I will protect you from the diseases that I put on the Egyptians. God never says that he will protect you from all diseases. God never says that he will protect you from all storms, from all viruses, from sickness. God never says that he will protect you from COVID-19. But God does promise I will be there with you. I will be there with you. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. There are verses that we need to hold on to. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. What? I will never leave you. And I'll never turn my back on you. I will never forsake you. Rather finally, you know what this is? When God desires, this is God graciously, graciously showing us we are a lot like the Israelites in the wilderness. Or what? Or the Israelites in the wilderness are a lot like us. If you would just listen, if you would just obey. Think about this for a moment. What, what benefit is it what benefit is there for doing it your way? What, what gain is there for you to have it constantly your way? Matter of fact, he even says in Matthew chapter 16, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? My calling before God my, my responsibility is truth, is what? Is the truth that exists in the gospel of Jesus. I have been raised on the mantra. What? What? From this text, you make a beeline to the cross. From, this, from the text, make a beeline to the cross. This week, actually, I was challenged in the exact opposite. From the cross, you make a beeline to the text. Regardless, what do we see here? Regardless, what we see here is that it is my job for you to see Jesus. It's my job for you to hear Jesus, to present to you the truth of Jesus. And to pray for you and to plead with you with all of my strength and vigor and energy that God could ever give me as he's calling every single one of us to live a life of obedience. Full obedience. Now, it is, there's, there's no secret here. There's no doubt these are trying times in this wilderness. No one would choose this. No one would want this. God knows what you need. God knows. There's 
No need to grumble. God promises salvation. And there's no need to doubt. Yeah, but it, does, it just doesn't look right. It just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't sound right. No, no. Just as Moses cried out, and the Lord said, there's a log, there's a piece of wood I'm going to do something pretty amazing with. God himself uses a, another piece of wood to do something amazing. As his son Jesus was nailed to it on our behalf. God promises salvation, no doubt. Thirdly and finally, God desires obedience. Perhaps, perhaps now, more than ever before. Perhaps now in this season, more than ever before, we need to examine our hearts. Moms and dads, talk with your kids. Ask them how they're doing. Husbands and wives, sit and talk and pray together. See God's hand at work in this wilderness journey that we are on. And see, see God's amazing grace and glory and goodness and salvation. Father, we love you. I love you. We thank you. We thank you for this season. This is your will for us. Your will is never to hurt us. Your will for us is to learn and obey. And God, we admit and confess we cannot do that in our own strength. We need you. We need your word. We need your spirit. And we need, we need one another. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to minister from afar, to love one another, to check up on, to pray for, to encourage, to strengthen. So we can look back, Lord willing, in the near future, look back on this time and see you build your church in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for the gift of salvation. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, I want to thank you so much for this um, time together in his word. Um, as Pastor Stewart mentioned earlier, um, we are doing the best that we can in reaching out, but it is important for you, if you have a question, even something that was talked about this morning, that you don't understand, if you have a need, if you're aware of a need that someone else has, together at bigwoods.org, make sure you communicate. We look forward to hearing from you soon. I encourage you tonight at 7 o'clock as we gather together in prayer, we go before the Lord in that marvelous Zoom room, but we can pray, and God hears our prayers, and we thank him for that opportunity. May the Lord bless you. Love you. Look forward to seeing you again in the near future.